Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Butch. Good to see you this morning, bro. Matthew chapter 9, if you'll be turning there, Matthew chapter 9, and we will continue our second week in our series, Sent. Justin uh, opened us up last week. Appreciate it, brother. Speak of the lead pastor, he shall appear. There we go. All right. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and uh, Justin walked us back through. We'll, we'll recap it just in a second, but this idea in the Scripture, really not an idea, more of a truth, that we are sent, and this morning, particularly, we're going to look at how Jesus was sent. Hope you come back tonight to, uh, to Vision Night. Uh, we serve because Jesus first served us. We love because he first loved us, and we live for him because he first lived for us. Uh, my wife and I, Lauren, we got to, uh, to go back down to, to New Orleans for a few days um, this week and kind of a semester break for us. And uh, so was happy to, to get away. We love New Orleans. I don't know if you know this about me. I was born there um, and I was adopted and, and raised here in, in Laurel. So anytime we get to go back there, it's pretty incredible. We, we lived there for two and a half years um, helping plant a church in Uptown. And we kind of have like go-to places. So when we go to New Orleans, Lauren had it planned out on a legal pad like two weeks ago. And it was based basically based around like what we we're going to do, where we we're going to eat. Okay. So I, I think, you know, when I was a younger kid, I looked forward to what I was going to do. Now, I guess I just look forward to what I'm going to eat, but she had it planned out. And uh, because we left a little late, it got messed up. So we're just kind of in flux. And that's always kind of when you go and you don't have an agenda, you can just go eat. Well, we kind of have a go-to place for po'boys. And uh, I like po'boys. Po'boys are excellent. Po'boys are biblical. They were Jesus' choice when he wanted to feed a crowd. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Po'boys for everybody. And so it's okay for you to eat a po'boy because that's what Jesus liked to do. And so we had a go-to go, uh, go place when we were down there. It's called Krabby Jack's. It's out on Jefferson Highway. And it's basically like you get like bread with your shrimp. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, 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 when you open it up, it's wrapped up in the right type of paper and it's French bread and there's just literally shrimp everywhere. And by the end, you feel like you're eating a shrimp platter. That's the way you're, you're supposed to be. So we had it planned out and we went there and there was nobody there. And we totally forgot that in two weeks in August, Krabby Jack's takes like a two week summer break. So we had been at, a, at an ice cream place the night before, and they had told us about this place called Parkway. Now, we lived in the city for two and a half years, and I'd never heard of Parkway. I didn't know about Parkway. What is going on? And so we go to this place, kind of in mid-city New Orleans, called Parkway, and it is almost like a complex. They have a parking lot. They have a parking attendant. And we went inside, and they had something called the James Brown and I'm saying it, it is like hot barbecue beef with shrimp. Nobody's going to listen to me the rest of the morning. Y'all just going to be dreaming about this. But we kind of went classic, and we got just classic shrimp po' boys, sweet potato fries, and it was incredible. Now, here's the thing. My go-to place, Krabby Jack's, has been around since 2002. Parkway has been around since 1911. And I was like, how in the world did I miss this? How in the world did I not know about this place living in the city from where we lived? It was literally like three or four miles from our house. Never heard of this place. I was apparently the only person in New Orleans that had never heard of this place, but we shall return and I will probably go James Brown next time. When we're talking about what we're talking about in this series called Scent, it's kind of like the Parkway Po' Boy Shop. It has been around for so long. It is ingrained in Christianity 
But somehow, many of us have missed this concept of scent, this truth of scent. Because in our generation, church and Christianity has been confined to a building, an address, a time, and an event. In the New Testament, Christianity wasn't that. It was life. You did not pick Jesus up on Sunday morning at 10 and drop him off before you go to lunch on Sunday a couple hours later. For the people in the New Testament... Jesus and his gospel and his mission was something that accompanied them in a lot of ways, more importantly, Monday through Saturday than when they gathered. The early church, for the most part, probably gathered on Sunday evenings because they had to work all day on Sunday in the middle of a Roman empire. They gathered at night or they gathered early in the morning. They possibly went out to work all day. And Christianity was not spread through gathered services on Sunday. It was spread through interactions of daily life Monday through Saturday. The marketplace was the place of mission. And for many churches and many Christians in America particularly, because church is an event, Christianity is an event, not a lifestyle, if we were to stumble on something that's been around a lot longer than 1911 and eat of that food, we'd say, how in the world did we miss this? And so as we think about where we've been at as a church this year, that the gospel drives everything that we do, that we are dependent upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as we have gazed in this summer and zoomed in on a family in a redneck town in southern Israel, and we see God's sovereignty and his goodness as being a part of a bigger mission, so now these next few weeks... We want to see how that's true, not only in the Old Testament, not only true in the New Testament, but how that's true in our life, because you and I are sent. Week two, week three, week four, and week five, the next four weeks in this series, we're going to be in Matthew chapter nine. Whereas this summer, we covered a whole book. For the next month, we're going to cover a paragraph, okay? So uh, it's going to be fun. I said, Justin, you know, we've been preaching Old Testament narrative, and now we're about to preach to a paragraph. But I think it's going to be so good for us to see. Let's recap just a minute on what Justin shared with us last week. When we read the Bible, the Bible is the story of God's mission. That's the story of the Bible. It is God on mission. It is God working. It is God acting. It is God drawing. It's God chasing. It's God pursuing. It is God accomplishing his purpose. Justin gave us a Latin phrase last week that we use sometimes in theology called the missio dei. It literally means the mission of God. And when we read the scripture, we find out that God is on this mission for his own glory. God is revealing himself. God is calling people to himself. God is pursuing people. God is creating his people all across every tongue, tribe, language, and nation for his own glory. And so when we understand that really the story of the Bible is God's mission for his glory, then we begin to connect the dots throughout scripture, seeing that the Bible is made up of a bunch of stories, but it's really only one story. And you remember Justin gave us this last week. This is how... The Bible breaks down. God created everything. We fell and we were condemned. And then God made a covenant with a group of people. And from that covenant, he created a kingdom of people. And then he sent Christ. And you remember in the Old Testament, it's pretty cool. God made a covenant and God created a people. In the New Testament, what happened? 
God made a blood covenant through his son. And what did God do now? That people is not just of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. And what we're doing this morning is being done all across this earth as God's people gather on the Lord's day to worship him in spirit and truth. And then, praise God, all this is going to culminate at the end time when Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. If you think about the Bible, and I think it was my father-in-law, the Ford car salesman, but lay theologian that he is, made a comment to me one time, and it's stuck with me ever since. The first two chapters of the Bible are man with God. God creates the world, God creates Adam and Eve, and he is with them. The last two chapters of the Bible is what? God's people with God. So the first two chapters are God's people with God. The last two chapters are God's people with God. And everything in between is God's mission to bring people to himself. That's a great way to view the Bible. Is that when we talk about the mission of God and being sent, it is so that people might dwell with God in this life and forever. You know, when we look at the scripture too, we see that God's the first missionary. Adam and Eve sinned and who showed up? Immediately. God did. When we were at our worst, God was at his best. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, said God had one son and he was a missionary. And so when we get to this part of the scripture, we'll turn our attention now to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. We'll read it in just a moment. What we see Jesus doing is his part, center stage in this mission of God. In the Old Testament, God would visit his people at different times and different places. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about. It is about Jesus, God in flesh, on mission, redeeming, calling, saving people to himself. And so as we read this passage over and over again the next month or so, The reason that we're studying sin is so that first we can see God at work and then we can understand that we are called to join God in his work. Matthew chapter 9, if you would read with me, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you study the gospel of Matthew, and if you're taking notes this morning, Just jot down Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew 4, 23. Five chapters earlier, at the end of chapter 4, Matthew has basically said the same thing, that Jesus went, that he went throughout towns and villages. Now it says specifically in that passage that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he was healing every disease, every affliction, but he went throughout all Galilee. Now we know in this passage, if we study it and we look around it, that it's basically assuming that he is in Galilee too. I'll tell you a little bit more about Galilee later in the message. But what we see Jesus doing from chapter 4 to chapter 9 is moving among people. 
in different places, in different communities, in different towns, in different villages. And I think a little later in the message, you're going to see how small an area this is. And I think it's going to be great encouragement to you. But over the next month, we're going to look at how Jesus lived his life. Oftentimes, we focus on the death and the resurrection of Christ as we should, but we must not, out of focus, look at one week of the life of Jesus, the most important, obviously, and neglect all the other weeks that he lived on this earth. And if we're going to understand what it means to be sent, to see God at work and to join him there, it's an amazing thing just to be able to look at how Jesus lived his life. How did Jesus live his life? I want us literally to look at only the first half of verse 35 this morning. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. That's the title of the message this morning. Jesus went. He went. Jesus went. Matthew's gospel, Jesus was doing this. And then in chapters five through seven, we have a passage called the Sermon on the Mount where he sat on top of a mountain and he sat down and he, and he taught his disciples. And when he comes down from the mount, Beginning in chapter 8 through Matthew 9.35, we see Jesus going. And so 9.35 through 38 is almost a summation of what's been happening the previous two chapters. What's been happening? If you go back and you just look, and you can just gaze while I'm talking at this, if your Bible has subtitles in it, you can see that Jesus has been pretty active. In chapters 8 and 9, there are 11 miracles done in nine different episodes or nine different scenes. And Jesus is exercising authority. He cleanses a leper. He cleanses a centurion servant. And he's not even there. He just kind of speaks from a distance, perhaps a few miles away. And Jesus standing here, here's, heals a dude <laughs> that's at a house way over there. You know why? Because the word of Jesus has power no matter where he speaks. Jesus heals a lot of people. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and that miracle spawned a bunch of people to get healed that night, demon-possessed people and other sicknesses. Jesus takes a nap in a boat, a storm creeps up, the disciples freak out, and Jesus takes authority over nature. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus heals two men with demons. At the beginning of chapter 9, he heals a paralyzed man. He answers some questions about fasting. He calls Matthew to himself. He then heals a woman with a bleeding problem while he's on the way going and raising a young girl from the dead. And then before our passage this morning, he heals two blind men. So Jesus has taken authority over leprosy, blindness, demons, and the storm, and even death itself before we get here. This is a big deal. <laughs> Can I just remind you this morning, just to slip this in, Jesus is more powerful than anything. He is. May not look like he is at the time, but he is. And I, I heard it said this week, I think it's really important for us to realize, and Justin will hit on this more next week, that the Son of God basically eradicated disease from Palestine during his ministry. Think about that. You know, Dr. Deloach, is pretty an amazing thing to think about the magnitude of illnesses that he healed. Which some of you may be running down, why is our society like this right now? Let me just encourage you, Jesus is sovereign over all things, including COVID-19. He is. He, he really is. But when we see Christ living, you've got to understand that all this activity and all this ministry from the Son of God comes because he knew while he was here. And that's big truth number one I want you to see. Jesus went because he knew he was sent on mission. 
Jesus went because he knew that he was sent on mission. Verse 35, and Jesus went. We could stop there, and if we really were to think about the magnitude of that, just those three words, it's pretty amazing. Because what that means is, is that God is not in heaven, God is on earth. That God has left glory, and God is hanging out with us. The very fact that the Son of God can go about villages in upper Palestine is because he has condescended from a throne, has taken on human flesh, and has come to sympathize with us. What an amazing thing. That's what that verse teaches. And the truth of that is that God has not left us to fend for ourselves. He has come to live with us, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. But as he lived on this earth, you can see really quickly that Jesus understood why he'd come. I mean, even as a, we could say, pre-puberty teenage boy in his early 12th year, goes back to the temple on the way home from a visit, and his mom and dad think he's with his friends or relatives, and on the third day they can't find him, and they go back, and Jesus gives them the ultimate Sunday school answer, but it was in complete honesty, so it worked. Didn't you know I was about my father's business? And so it just causes my mind to think a little bit, you know, at what point did Jesus understand why he was here? The scripture teaches he knew it. We can't say at this point or that point, but the son of God, as he grew physically, understood who he was spiritually. I'll give you a few verses to show you this. I want you to see first that Jesus knew who he was. He lived on mission because he knew who he was. Look at these verses in the gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he, that's the Father, has sent. John 6, 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his identity. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody new rolls into town, you ask them where they're from, they're like, I came down from heaven. You're like, what? I'm from so-so. Where are you from? I came down from heaven. What? You, you transferred in? Where you transferred in? I, I transferred in from heaven. Okay. Bro, I, I, got a, I got a friend, and they're a counselor, and here's their business card, and man, I'll even make the call for you. But isn't that Christ walked around saying something as, aud- as audacious and radical as, <laughs> I'm not from here. I mean, he stood before the Roman governor who had power to take his life or to spare his life, and he said, you just don't understand. My kingdom is not of this world. And if I just ask my father, he would send tens of thousands of angels who would come and deliver me from you. You would have no power over me unless it was given to you. Jesus knew who he was. And as he lived on this earth, he went around in the identity of who he was. He was going about through their cities and villages because he knew who he was. But he also not only knew who he was, Jesus knew why he was here. He knew his purpose. The reason for his going 
was not just because he knew who he was, but it was why he was here. Now, we're going to apply this in just a second. Jesus knew why he was here. Why was he here? He knew he was sent. What's amazing is in, in, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's 10 references of Jesus being sent. Now, John just like overloads it. There's 41 references. <laughs> so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is sent 10 times. But over in the gospel of John, 41 times, Jesus says, the father sent me. I've been sent. And the Greek word that's used most of the time, it's a Greek word that was signified, not just sent, just, just to be here, just to show up. Luke and Lauren going to New Orleans. We don't know what we're going to do. We're going to eat while we're there. But the rest of the time, we're just going to kind of chill. Not that. I've been sent for a specific purpose. Now, he tells us, give you three verses from John, why he was sent. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So why has Jesus come? To do the will of the Father, to accomplish the Father's work. Why is he here? Why is he going? Why has he been sent to do the Father's will? The next chapter in John, John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. And, and check this out. That's not a statement of inability. That's a statement of dependability, of obedience, of submission. I can do nothing of myself because I look to the Father and he enables me to do what he wants me to do. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but what? The will of him who sent me. So why am I being sent? To do the will of the Father. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, there it is, <laughs> not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Christ views his life. I'm not only of the Father. I'm not only of God. I've not only come down from heaven, but the reason why I'm here on this earth is to do the will of God. Jesus knew his purpose. So let me, let me turn it on us real quick. And when I point, there's three coming back at me. So just hear that. Do we know who we are? Like if you claim to be a Christ follower, like do you know who you are? Yeah, you're human and yeah, you needed coffee this morning and yeah, you have a physical body. But don't you understand as a follower of Jesus, you're more than human? You're not a human being who's having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being being raised from the dead that lives out the rest of their life in a human body and then one day will be with God for all eternity. Like this isn't some like little Boy Scout patch. We, we strut on our uniform and say, well, I'm a Christian now. No, you've been raised from the dead. You belong to him. Now, the hard part is preaching that to yourself on Monday morning. <laughs> the hard part of that is preaching yourself that to yourself when you don't feel like it is. Do, do you know who you are? Because you know what keeps us from embracing the fact that we're sent? We forget who we are. We're Davis, we're Johnson, we're Holyfield, we're Hicks. But if we're born again, we're of Christ. That's our identity. We're not from Soso or Hebron or Big Creek or Ellisville. Our citizenship's in heaven now. We're just passing through. And as we're passing through, guess what's happening? We realize the reason that we've been saved is not to sit not to cruise, not to plateau, not just to enjoy. We are here with purpose. And what's that purpose? To do the will of God. So 
To be a Christian, to embrace what it means to live like Jesus is to know who I am and is to know why I am here. What was the will of God for Christ? To reveal the Father? To show people in living flesh what God was like. If you've seen me, he told Thomas, you've, you've seen the Father. He, he, he came to die for our sin. He came to conquer death. This was his purpose. Our purpose is to make that known. This is why we are sin. And let me just slip this in because I feel like some of you need to hear this this morning. Your identity as a Christian determines your activity as a Christian, not the other way around. Every other religion in the world talks about how activity determines identity. You, you work for something. You strive for something. You try to do something so God will notice you and love you and accept you. Christianity, behavior comes out of belief. We do these things not to be saved. We do these things because we are saved. We're joking about yesterday, man. I, I like Chick-fil-A. That's just, I'm that person. Thank you. I knew I'd get a couple amens. So when I was getting my master's at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, he came and he gave a talk in chapel. And it was cool to, you know, just have a businessman talk in chapel. And so at the end of that chapel service, he, he said, hey, I want all the students to come down front and shake my hand. Well, what he had was he had like one of those free Chick-fil-A sandwich cards. And there were a bunch of us in chapel. So I think a couple of dudes made like two trips or three trips through, you know, shook his hand, got a free card, you know. But when he would sign, his autograph, every time I've seen like an autograph of Dan Cathy, Dan Cathy puts a Bible verse on there, and he puts on that Bible verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you don't know what that says, it, it says, we who know Jesus, who have been saved by grace through faith, we're God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God foreordained for us to walk in. So what the Bible is saying is, is that even before we came to Christ, God had planned for us good works for us to walk in. And what's awesome is Dan Cathy thinks that Chick-fil-A sandwiches were foreordained by God and they're good works that he's supposed to walk in. And I'm thankful for that, amen? And that's a good application of the scripture, right? But no, but what he says is he says, I'm the CEO of this company and guess what? It was God's plan for me to be the CEO, CEO of this company. And as a believer, guess what? I'm gonna infuse my life and my, my purpose into what I do. Did you know this, that God has plans and works for his mission already planned out for you to walk in? See, when you embrace identity and purpose, that's what starts happening. You realize that the circumstances that you're in just aren't random. They're there because God has planned for you to walk in them. And so we see Jesus going. He went. But where did he go? The Verse tells us that he went throughout all the cities and villages. Big truth number two this morning. I want you to see that Jesus lived, sent on mission wherever he was. So the purpose of Christ, the mission was not a trip, it was a lifestyle. Now, if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, they're incredible. And it doesn't matter if you go down the street or you go across the country or Maybe you go to uh, up the East Coast or maybe you, you get in a van and you drive for 24 hours and you go to Mexico or you take a flight. And I know those several years ago, some people went with me to India and you guys have been the Dominican Republic and many of you have been different places. And oftentimes, 
When we come back from mission trip, we're just like, man, this is incredible. I felt so close to God. I, I felt it was awesome. And many of you could say, yeah, I've been on a mission trip and it was a great experience. And we wonder sometimes, we're kind of puzzled when we come back to normal life, like why don't we experience that type of joy and nearness to Christ? Can I just submit it to you that the way that we lived for seven days on that mission trip is how Jesus has calls, us to it calls us to live every day of our life? And the reason we felt joy is because actually for one week of our life, we were doing what Jesus told us to do. Am I the only one that thinks that? Like I woke up, okay, today intentionally, I will put the glory of God and the will of God in front of me. And guess what we see? Okay, I will. Because we say, we're, we're going to do the will of God, not my will. I'm going to put God's plans and purposes. I'm going to seek that above all. I'm going to wake up this morning and saying, Lord, I exist for you to love you with all my soul, heart, mind, and strength. And I exist to love my neighbor as myself. And I guess it's easier to do that on the mission field because the people that we love as ourselves we don't know and we're not related to. And we won't see them after 10 days. But the same two greatest commandments apply here as they do everywhere else. Jesus lived, sent on mission wherever he was. Where is he here? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. It's speaking about the region of Galilee. Let me just break down Galilee for you real quick. In our New Testament world, in the, the world that Jesus lived, he mainly went about in three different areas. Judea, which was southern Palestine. Samaria, which was kind of a, it was a, it was a region in between northern and southern Palestine. It was an area of, of mixed breeds of Jews and Gentiles. Jews would avoid it. They would go out of their way sometimes. And then the upper region, which was called Galilee. You've probably heard, if you hadn't heard of that region, you've probably heard of a body of water called the Sea of Galilee. Galilee was a rural place. We're told by the historian Josephus that it was divided into Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. Most of the ministry of Jesus was in this lower region of Galilee, in the towns that surrounded the Sea of Galilee. One historian tells us that there were a little over 200 villages in the region of Galilee. Population was somewhere maybe around 300,000 people. It was mainly rural. It was a fertile area. Crops grew abundantly. Almost exclusively people were agricultural in their vocation, except around the sea where obviously fishing was very popular. Predominantly it was Jewish, but in the northern area of Galilee, in the northeastern area of Galilee, there were Gentiles there. And if you've read your New Testament, you know there's a, actually a place called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. And these had Gentile populations. And this is where Jesus was going. Now, I don't know what comes in your mind when you think about like where he walked and where he ministered, but, but let me just lay this out to you. Most of the ministry that Jesus did that's being described in Matthew chapter 9 was done within a 100-mile radius. The furthest north Jesus ever went was a town called Sidon. It's a Gentile town. It's in Mark chapter 7. As far as we know, the southern, southernmost point that Jesus ever went to was probably in the wilderness where he was tempted or the town of Bethlehem where he was born. From the top, Sidon, to the bottom, Bethlehem is 128 miles, which is like Starkville to Laurel. We know the furthest that Jesus ever went when he was a, a, a small child was to Egypt. 
If you go to the top of Palestine down to the middle of Egypt, it's basically the distance from Atlanta to Laurel. Now, Jesus left Egypt and he went back and he lived predominantly in this 100-mile radius. Where he ministered around the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem in the south was 73 miles or the distance from Hattiesburg to Gulfport. From his hometown of Nazareth to Jerusalem was 64 miles, which is the distance from Laurel to Brandon. And he grew up in Nazareth and then later moved to Capernaum, which is 20 miles, which is the difference between Ellisville and Hattiesburg. So the reason I'm laying that out to you, that you would understand that Christ's life was normal, but extraordinary. And when we think about the life of Jesus, it's not like some huge thing where he's hopping on a jet plane every other week and flying here and flying there. The great majority of the life of Jesus, where he spent every day of his life, is where we live. The area in which we live. The width of the Sea of Galilee is just from here to Big Creek, that gas station right out there. The length of the Sea of Galilee is here to Stringer. <laughs> that helps me so much, doesn't it? Because Christ lived on mission in the most familiar places of his life. Yes, he would go to places sometimes. Man, he rolled up in his home church and got thrown out by the end of the message. He showed back up in Nazareth and they said, is this that carpenter's son? Who does he say he is? He's forgive sin. I think this helps us so much, y'all. We find out that oftentimes we are sent to the most normal places where people know us the most. And you know what? If you're a Christian, they're going to know your baggage too, who you used to be, because we all have a past. Praise God, it's under the blood. It takes people to get the memo sometimes that that's happened. But that doesn't erase the fact that we are sent he brought extraordinariness into normalcy. Everywhere that he went, all these towns and villages, every place that he went, it was just normal, normal people, normal jobs, normal day, but he lived on purpose as he went there. And if you will just see that the call of God is yes to the ends of the earth, but in the life of Jesus, he never went to the ends of the earth physically on this planet. He went here in a very small geographic area. He lived on mission wherever he was. Jesus also lived intentionally every day. He lived intentionally every day. Do we live with intention? I was thinking through this about my life. Am I opening my eyes to opportunities for the mission of God or am I closing my eyes or am I just kind of hazy? Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. The disciples wanted Jesus to stay in this village, but this is what he said. Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. It, it's great that I'm here, 
But I need to intentionally go somewhere else because this is why I came. There are other places for me to go. He said this in John chapter 4. This is what the narrator says. So he left Judea, John chapter 4. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. You know why he had to pass through Samaria? Because there was a woman who had been married a bunch of times and was shacked up with another dude, and she needed to hear the gospel, and Jesus met her socially unacceptably, beside a well, called her to repentance. She goes back, starts bearing testimony. The whole town comes to faith in Christ. Why? Because he had to. He had to pass through Samaria. This is Jesus knowing that there are opportunities all around him that God is already at work. Now, there's been times in my life that I really grabbed a hold of this. And there's been times in my life where I just was like, man, I'm just, I'm too tired to think about that. I think if we want to embrace who he's called us to be, that when we wake up in the morning, possibly one of the greatest battles you'll fight with your flesh is this. Today, Lord, make me conscious of what you're doing. Don't let me turn a blind eye or an apathetic eye to it. Because we wake up, we got our plans. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And oftentimes, y'all, God's grace is in the midst of, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I do this. We're Ruth walking down the road. That looks like a nice field. Let's jump in there. Turns out to be the plan of God. But oftentimes, this requires spiritual sensitivity. Lord, open my eyes to show me what you are doing. Jesus lived on mission wherever and whenever. And see what this does is, y'all, there's no difference in spiritual or, or sacred and secular. What this means is, is that I'm, I'm on mission when I'm playing around the golf with buddies. I'm on mission when I grab a snow cone and, and, and encourage somebody that's working. I was rolling through, through Taco Bell. It was a Saturday because I'm trying to eat a little better. But they had a sign up that said, our hours are changing because we don't, you know, we, we don't have people to work and there was this little girl and this dude that were working there. And I just was like, hey, y'all, I'm so thankful y'all want to work. I just want to encourage you. And the dude was kind of like, what is this? And the lady, the little girl, she thanked me. I just want to say, man, look, there's a lot of people that are mooching off the government right now. I'm just glad y'all want to work. Just encouraging. That may be what she needed at that moment. Now, it wasn't some like big 30-minute dialogue on justification by faith. Sometimes there may be, that, that may open up for you. But you know what? I'm, I'm preaching to me here. What if I saw opportunities intentionally throughout the day that God in his wisdom and God in his providence has dropped me right in this situation for a time like this because this person needs Jesus. Now, I may be the, the sower, I may be the waterer, I may be the harvester. It, I, I don't know. But you gotta start thinking like that because that's how he thought. That's how, he, that's how he thought. That's how he lived. I love this quote from Burke Parsons. It won't be on the screen. Just listen. Throughout history, God has done extraordinary things through ordinary people. The ordinary Christian will always fight the status quo of lukewarm Christianity. The ordinary Christian will always fight nominal, passionless Christianity. 
Whatever we do, wherever we live, whatever our income, whatever our vocation, whatever our education, whatever we do in retirement, whatever we drive, whatever we eat or drink, we are called to do all for the glory of God. And we're called to do this as ordinary yet radical followers and proclaimers of Jesus who are on mission to make disciples of all nations and whatever place God has called us to live and serve. Every day of your life is an opportunity to be sent by Jesus. He went throughout all the cities and villages, and guess who was there with him the whole time? Matthew, Peter, Thomas, Simon, oftentimes Mary, Magdalene, like the eight Marys in the Gospels, you know, all the Marys, and other people. And what were they doing? They might not have even understood it fully at that time, but what were they doing? They were watching him. They were seeing him. And so at the end of that three years when he said, hey, you go. They knew how to do it. And that's where we want to conclude this morning. Final truth this morning I want you to see is that Jesus calls his followers to live sent like him. He went throughout all the cities and villages. Why? Not only to meet needs and not only to address things and not only to cast out demons and preach the good news and to do all these things, but what he was doing was he was laying down the template and the example for us to follow. Jesus has already commissioned us. I hope you know this. He said this in John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you as the Father has already sent me. I am sending you. There was more in that upper room than the apostles. It was women that were there, possibly the larger crowd. Later on, he would tell 500 people, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. On another occasion, he said, you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Some of that crowd never left Jerusalem. Some of that crowd went throughout Judea. Some of that crowd went to Samaria. And you know what? A bunch of those people went to the ends of the earth. He commissioned them. He's commissioned you. Do you know that? This isn't optional. Jesus has commissioned us wherever we are, we are called to live sent like him. Now, some of us are called to be missionaries. Can I just say this this morning? One of the great things about the local church is that where do you think missionaries get raised up? They get raised up from the local church. Book of Acts, that's what happened. So we start walking through some of this. You know what? God may start messing with you. You know what I'm talking about when God messes with you? He puts something in your mind, in your heart that you can't get your mind off of, you can't get your heart off of. And man, you'd be like, bro, don't preach that. My business is doing good right now. We kind of made it through and we're, we're just kind of plugging along. Everything's good. You know, we, Lauren and I had a friend and in her room, she had a, a map of the world and she was getting ready for the day and she felt the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. He said, North Korea. She said, nope. <laughs> Look at that map. Look at North Korea. <laughs> nope because I'll end up there. Just the Lord wanted her to go read about the oppression of the North Korean people and how the small believers that are, are are being killed and imprisoned. 
But we're going to see at the end of this chapter, we're going to be praying for places like North Korea. We're going to be praying praying for places like Yemen. We're going to be praying for places like Afghanistan as we wake up this morning and the Taliban's going going to possibly take back over that country in the next few days. We're going to be praying for these places. You know what? God might call you. Don't be scared. All authority in heaven and earth has already been given to him. Some of us are called to be missionaries. Some of us move and uproot and go to other places in this country and other countries. But let me give you a term here. All of us are called to be great commissionaries. You may never leave Jones County. Dude, that's awesome. That's the will of God. Awesome. You know what you're called to do? To live out the great commission in Jones County. To live out the great commission in Calhoun. To live out the Great Commission as you sell insurance. To, to carry out the Great Commission as you teach math. To carry out the Great Commission as you fix gas pumps. To carry out the Great Commission as you help people with their finances. To carry out the Great Commission as you help people in the post office. And guess what? That's the brilliant thing about Christianity. That there's not some monk that lives on a temple in, in the Himalayas that we have to go trek to. And that's the one person that's got all of God's truth. The miracle and, and the genius of Christianity is that every follower of Christ possesses the spirit of Christ inside of them. They have the word of Christ outside of them. And they can carry out the mission of God in their daily life. That's the genius of the faith. All of us are called to be great commissionaries. So what are we called to do? As Jesus went... We gotta see him at work. We gotta see God at work. We gotta join God at work. Now next week again, we're gonna be looking at how do we see God at work? How do we see God at work? How do we see God at work? And then you're gonna start seeing in this passage, you're gonna start hearing a call, join me, join me, join me, join me. And so this morning as we wrap this up, I want you to see the fact that Jesus is at work. And he's at work in normal places. And then he's using normal people to do extraordinary things. This is how the son of God embraced his life. And this is how you and I as his followers are called to embrace our lives. Thursday morning, Lauren and I had breakfast with a, a good friend. And, and we had a good breakfast. French bread, banana foster, French toast. Oh, yeah. And our friend is the manager of this place. And uh, we love her. And I, I always call her a trophy of grace. Grew up Catholic, confused about who God was. And we had just moved to New Orleans. This was in 2008. And she was living with a dude at that time in a pretty destructive relationship. And one day, me and uh, our, our lead pastor there and, and got me and some other men, and we were just like, we're moving this girl out today. We're going to get her, and we're going to rescue her. And she tells a story. I didn't even remember doing this, but apparently she was like smoking a cigarette, and I guess me and my Jones County boldness just walked up and just grabbed it and said, hey, you don't need that anymore. Probably wouldn't do it that way if I ever had to do it again, but she always thanks me for that. But we went over there, and we moved her out of her house, and we got her a place to stay by herself. And over the next few months, as she saw Jesus through his people, through his church, and as she heard the gospel, she came to know Jesus in a real way. Life change. Struggles? Yeah. 
We sat on that front porch on Magazine Street. She just, she, she's, she's still single. But just her zeal and love for Jesus, her desire for other people to know Jesus. She was telling us about her neighbor that, that lives next to her house. She's, she's concerned about her. She wants her to come, come to know Christ. And this is what she told us Thursday morning sitting on that porch. She said, She said, you guys remember what my life was like? He came and he got me out of my pit. And I said, that's what he does for all of us. He said, he got me out of a, a pit of Bible Belt religion. He came and got me out of my self-righteousness. He came and got you out of your immorality. But he gets us all out of it. And so to be sent like Jesus is he's going. And what is he doing? He's going and he's rescuing people. He's pulling them out of their pit that they might come to know him. And that's what's happening, y'all. He's inviting us to, to, to do that with him. That's what it means to be sent. So we see him at work. We see how he's working so that we can be like him. Let's listen to what the Spirit's saying to the church this morning. For us to say, this is how our Lord lived, and this is how, by his grace, we, we want to live. We're not going to bat a thousand. We're going to struggle. We're going to get selfish. But Jesus, we want to live like you. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word, how it speaks to me and how it cuts me and how it heals me how it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. Lord, I'm thankful for this truth that's so old yet seems so new that you live sent, that you lived intentional. God, I pray you would work that into us. Just be simple like you. Lord, I don't want to be someone that preaches this to a church and then doesn't live it tomorrow. So I pray specifically, Lord, in front of your, your church, Lord, I want to live this out this week. As, Lord, you've allowed me to live it out in my life. But again, open our eyes, Lord, out of our circumstances. Help us to lift up our eyes and, and see what you're doing. To not... Define your mission, but allow you to define your mission to us. This morning, as we've heard God's word, what has he said to you? Perhaps God is seeking you to bring you out of your pit. You don't know Jesus this morning. Repent and believe the gospel. This is why he came. If you need to speak to someone about knowing Jesus, Justin and I will be here at the front. Ryan will be around. Paul and Daniel will be available after the service too if you need us. We're here. We'd love to speak to you about Jesus, share the hope of the gospel. But Christian, your prayer this morning, Christ, I don't want to be apathetic. I, I don't want to be blind. I, I want to be intentional and in living my life like you. Lord, take your word, burn it in our hearts so that we can be like you as believers, we can be like you as a church. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand. We can pray. Worship. We're here if you need us. Lead us, Daniel.